Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. All right, um, tonight we're going to look at, and I'm going to do something a little bit different in the sense of I'm going to throw, have Mike put a Bible app up on the screen for you guys. And uh, we were talking about not an app, a map, app, map, they're kind of the same. Um, just a little letter off there. But we were uh, last week talking about the division of the land with the tribes of Manasseh, half-tribe Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad, and they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And then tonight we're going to be looking at the other nine and a half tribes and the division of the land. It takes us from chapters 15 through 19, and there's a lot of reading, a lot of towns, a lot of boundaries, a lot of things that is just, one, difficult for me to read. Number two, Half the name of these towns we don't know, nor do uh, people in theology, or, uh, the people who search around, they can't see it as well. Uh, they don't know where these areas are all the time, and so they're kind of searching around and digging, and I uh, did uh, read of, and we'll look at this when we get to the last chapter of Joshua of what they feel is Joshua's tomb, and it's pretty cool, the description of it, uh, some 200 lights in this tomb, and tradition says that both Joshua and Caleb were buried there. We'll look at that at the end of the book of Joshua, but it's right there where it should have been, according to Scripture, and we find that in chapter 19, the land that he inherited, and also in chapter 24. So tonight we're going to look at these areas on the map and uh, color-coded. That will help us a little bit. And we're going to begin by just kind of pointing out those areas there on the screens here in the church. And it will help us kind of give a better understanding of these general areas. So kind of look through the text. And a lot of this is talking about the borders, so I just picked out one verse to get us going in a chapter, and we're going to do that, but I'm going to ask God to bless the teaching of his word. And so, Father, I know that we already prayed, and Lord, I ask now that you would be with me, and as we go through this passage in Joshua, that you just help us to gain a better understanding and the faithfulness of the children of Israel as they were to receive this inheritance from you. And Lord, in some of the end of the descriptions here, it actually speaks about their failures in those areas. And Lord, we just pray that we can take courage in the things we learn, both their successes and failures, and apply them to our lives tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Judah's inheritance is up first, and verse 1 tells us, This then was the lot that the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. And then it goes on to list out the borders there of Eden. And so we have this uh, 
greenish color at the very bottom of the map on our screens here that pretty much occupies, if you look at the map itself, it's like half the land of Israel on the southern end, everything from Jerusalem below, uh, bordering with the Dead Sea, and it goes all the way down to Kadesh Barnea, and then across over to Egypt to the Red Sea, or not the Red Sea, but over to the Mediterranean Sea, being its western coastline. And the beginning of it, the eastern coastline, is at the Dead Sea, and then traveling down into the wilderness area. That's part of the large territory of this area. It's where we're looking at today in the modern warfare in Israel with Hamas in the south. Um, Some of this is taking place in this area where Gaza is over on the Mediterranean Sea, and they infiltrated the area of Jerusalem in the southern section of what would be Judea. And also, though I can't see it very well, and I'm not sure how it reads, the very bottom wording, which is a blur for me to the back of the church, is the tribe of Simeon, who actually were encompassed within Judah. And so they would say that ultimately they became absorbed into Judah. And though they were given a separate territory, it's not marked out here with a different color, but they are named there. And we'll get to them. Uh, later on in the teaching tonight. So it begins with the division of the land to the nine and a half tribes. And First Chronicles chapter 5 tell that Reuben had forfeited his right of firstborn because he had defiled his father's bed. First Chronicles 5, 1. And uh, he took one of uh, one of the maids that became a wife of Jacob, and he slept with her. And so because he defiled his father's bed, which the Mosaic law would specifically write about these things, don't uncover your father's nakedness, which was talking about his wife's uh, nakedness, not the guy uncovering his father's nakedness, not talking about the guy, but what belongs to the father, his wife. And this is what Reuben had done. So accordingly... Judah prevailed over his brother to assume the right of firstborn and received this inheritance possibly first because of that. And also we find that the double portion would go to Joseph, another brother. brother. So the eldest son in Old Testament and Jewish tradition, the eldest son would get the birthright because he was firstborn, and the double portion because he was firstborn. But Reuben didn't get these. He forfeited them because of his sin. And being the right of firstborn went to Judah, and the double portion went to Ephraim and Manasseh. And we'll see their account in chapters 16 and 17. Judah's placement in the promised land meant that the other tribes... If you look at the map, they pretty much, you had desert to the south of you, and it's a pretty dry area down there. Everything north, they were um, buffered by those who would want to war against Judah, 
and it kind of placed them in an area of protection with the tribes around them, Simeon to the south, the desert down to the south, down toward Egypt. And uh, they did get attacked by Egypt in Scripture, but usually we read about the attacks coming from the north, whether it's the Assyrians, the Medes and the Persians, the Romans, um, the Babylonians. Those were always coming from the north uh, through Israel or from the sea to Israel. And so they had this good buffer zone around them and their placement there in the tribes. But before they get into really talking about distributing the land, we get the account in verses 13 through 19. I want to actually read this section of uh, Caleb once again. So we've seen the border, the territories. That takes us from Joshua 15, verses 1 through 12, as mapped out in the green. And if you don't have this, you can kind of look in a Bible map that you can find. All you have to do If you're watching online, listening on the radio, and you're very curious about this, all I did was uh, did a search on my computer, and I said the tribes of Israel and uh, their division in the promised land. Just some kind of question like that, and uh, several maps came up, and some of them I didn't care for, and this one was pretty decent. So anyways, that border of... Judah, given to us in verses 1 through 12, their territory. But then Caleb comes back on the scene again. We learned about him last week. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a portion among the children of Israel according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak, so Anak was part of the giants. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, Ahiman, and Tilmai, the children of Anak, so three giants. And he had talked about that last week, that there's giants, I'm ready to go. And he was willing to face the giants there. He went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir, that was formerly named of Debir, was Kirjath Saphir. And Caleb said, who attacks Kirjath Saphir and takes it to him, I'll give my daughter Aksha. And so Athanel, the son of Kenaz, and the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave Aksha, his daughter, as his wife. Now it was so when she came to him, she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? I read that over a few times because, like, she asked her husband, asked dad for a field, and then she got off the donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you want? And she said, <laughs> so I don't know. She, had, she did the asking, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. And he gave also the springs of water. He gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So... She's the one that actually did the asking. Maybe she was seeking permission from her husband, Athanil, and he would become the first judge that we read about in the book of Judges. So he was a good guy, and he would judge in the land of Israel after the death of Joshua for 40 years, according to the book of Judges, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And so... 
We find that last week he said, I'm ready to go up against these giants. Give me the land. Uh, Give me this mountain was the words that he said. Give me this mountain. And at the age of 85, he went forth and he drove out three of these giants that were named for us here. And then um, there was a city, much like David would give a challenge to his men when they take Jerusalem. It wasn't the name of Jerusalem, but years later, and we'll read about it tonight, that the Jebusites remained there in the city of what we know as Jerusalem. They remained there until the days of David, and David would put out this challenge to his men. And it was a water pipe. They were going to climb this water pipe and get into the city. And whoever could do this, I'll make him my commander-in-chief. And Joab said, man, I'll do it. And he he did so. And so this was a military challenge that was given to the warriors there. Afnail was the one who heeded the challenge and won a bride as a result of that and became a great man of faith. So he's a good guy, um, serving alongside a very good guy, faithful man, Caleb, and, uh, you know, no doubt, Athaniah, because Caleb and Joshua were the only ones of their generation that entered into the promised land, that meant that Athaniah's father had died in the wilderness, and here we find that his son, as the Lord said to those who refused to enter into the promised land 40-plus years earlier now, they said, We don't want to enter in because they're going to kill our children. And God said, no, you're going to die in the wilderness and your children will enter in. Athniel was one of those children who became a mighty warrior himself. So they named cities of Judah. Quite a few cities listed here in verses 20 through 63. And again, the names, um, some of them we know nothing about and some are familiar to us. But one of the things that surprised me is that Jerusalem was not part of the territory of Judah. Judah went just south of Jerusalem, but actually that territory we'll discover for Jerusalem was in the territory of Benjamin. And uh, that was just something as you read through it. I knew that, and I'm reading through it again, reminded of it. It's like, oh, that's interesting. But they list out these cities here instead of reading off all the cities. I'll just give us the summaries of the cities itself. There was 115 cities that are named, which included their surrounding villages. And so that kind of gives us a clue when they talked about a city. It was different than just a village because they often would come back to this, the city with their villages. And so 115 cities are named and To the south, there were 29 cities plus their villages, verses 21 through 32. In the western lowlands, there were 42 cities plus their villages, verses 33 through 47. In the central hill country, 38 cities plus their villages, verses 48 through 60. And the southeastern region of Judah, the area that slopes off toward the Dead Sea, and so you can see the Dead Sea, the lowest body of water on the right side of the map before it goes white there. That's the Dead Sea at the bottom. And then you keep traveling up to the uh, Jordan River and to the little blue dot in the middle of the orange and yellow way up north there, the orange and yellow 
is the Sea of Galilee. So kind of get our mindset there by looking at the map. But down there, there were six cities plus their villages, verses 61 and 62. So Jerusalem mentioned in connection in chapter 10 and chapter 12 to the defeat of its king, it remained a stronghold for the Jebusites until the time of David. And after being captured by David, it became known as the city of peace, which Jerusalem, uh, Salem, meaning peace, and the city itself actually being part of the tribe of Judah. We'll see that in chapter 18. And perhaps God was simply waiting until the reign of David for Israel to occupy Jerusalem one day, God would give the Daviatic covenant, Davidic covenant to David in 2 Samuel 7, which promised to bring forth the Messiah from his lineage, which is why Jerusalem not only called the city of David, but like those from the tribe of Judah, we have these men and one woman mentioned here, people of faith like Caleb and Othniel and Aksa. And David, not mentioned in this text, but I mentioned him a few times. They were willing to take the land that God provided for them. And in Hebrews 6, 11 and 12, it tells us, We desire that each one of you should show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And they inherited, and for some, it was a lot of patience. For the kids in the wilderness, they had to roam around for 40 years until their parents died off, that they could enter into the promised land. And it still took time to take the territories. So chapter 16, we have Ephraim's lot. I titled uh, verses 1 through 4 the in my notes, The Territory of Joseph. Now, Joseph, if you know of the 12 tribes of Israel, he's never or rarely, I can't say never, but rarely listed as one of the tribes. But his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are listed in his stead. And we'll see that the reason why in a moment. But verse one says the lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east, to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. And so just above Judah and the green there, um, we have Ephraim's lot being laid out there. And... uh, It's actually over toward the Red Sea. I can't see that map too well, so it's it's troubling me. I should have printed off a copy for myself. Even when I look to the right, it's kind of a blur. So my glasses aren't helping me tonight. So the chapter begins with the accounts of the area to be occupied by two of the tribes, that of the sons of Joseph, Manasseh, but half the tribe Manasseh and Ephraim, and Joseph's younger son, Ephraim was preferred over by Manasseh, by their grandfather Jacob, who when he was given the blessing, if you recall back in Genesis chapter 48, uh, Joseph presented his two sons that the eldest son would be before his father Jacob. The eldest son would be to his right hand. But even though 
Jacob couldn't see well anymore, and he was an old guy. And literally on his deathbed when he's giving these blessings, he did the old switcheroo and he, he crossed his hands over and blessed the younger with the right hand, which meant that he had the greater blessing and the double portion, and then gave Manasseh a lesser blessing. And Joseph tried to correct his dad to explain that he did it wrong. And dad said, I know what I'm up to, son. And uh, the blessing stood as was given. This may be why the second allotment went to Ephraim. You may recall that half the tribe of Manasseh received their settlement on the western side, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. I wrote that wrong in my notes. But half the tribe already received their inheritance on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And now those in the West are going to receive their inheritance. In Genesis 48:19, after Joseph tried to correct his dad because of the blessings, Genesis 48:19, he said, his father refused, refused and said, "I know my son, I know. He also shall become a people, but he also shall be great, but truly his younger brothers shall be greater than he." And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Perhaps the greatest hero of Ephraim was Joshua. Hoshea was his original name. It meant salvation. But Moses gave him the name Joshua. That means Jehovah is salvation. And that is a fitting name for the man who would lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Numbers thirteen sixteen. Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So their allotment, the territory of Ephraim, the son of Joseph, verses 5 through 10, here in chapter 16, places them right in the heartland of Israel, with Joshua being from their tribe. And the tabernacle placed in their territory at Shiloh, we'll read about that tonight, they were positioned to have great influence in the nation. So they were really positioned to be of great influence, but they never really lived up to the influence, the potential that they could have. First of all, we learn in the passage itself, in verse 10, that they were unable to drive out the Canaanites who were in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and have become forced laborers. We'll read this. It wasn't just Ephraim. There were a number of the tribes that it will say they were unable, whether it's talking about Canaanites or Malachites or whatever kind of kites they might be talking about in these sections. They were not the only ones that failed to drive them out the enemy. But their second, perhaps the biggest failure, was when Rehoboam was inaugurated as king over the ten northern tribes of Israel. That inauguration took place at Shechem, a city of Ephraim. We read about that in First Kings 12, verse 1. So they never really lived up to the potential that God had given to them. And I I wonder how often we fail to live up to our God-given potential. May I remind us of the words of Paul, who said in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him for the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. If you know anything about uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, that we have, although you would not know this by looking at your Bible, but... I'm going to go over there and I was reminded of this as I was reading through this section that we have actually the longest sentence in the Bible. It's found in first uh, chapter of Ephesians, beginning in verse three and going down, I believe, all the way to verse 14. Now, in my Bible, they've broken it up into three sentences, but in the Greek, there are no punctuation marks. And so in itself, it holds a theme that runs completely through. And it's talking about, I've circled every one of these. In verse 3, we have it again in verse 6, we find these things. In verse 7, in verse 10, in verse 10 again, in verse 11, in verse 12, in verse 13, we have this twice in verse 13, that in Christ, in him, in Christ, in the beloved, that everything is formed around Christ. And so that consists of, I just read a portion of it, of the longest sentence in the Bible, according to the theologians, kind of neat to ponder. But we need to remember that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, And God has chosen us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame, in love, predestined to the adoptions as sons, as daughters, according to the good pleasure of God's will. And and sometimes we forget that, that God is with us who could possibly be against us. Chapter 17, moving right along. I know I'm not reading the verses here too much. Because it's a lot of cities and a lot of boundaries. And I would just be reading names that we did not know, even if I could pronounce them. So we have 18 verses in chapter 17. It's dealing with the other half of the tribe of Manasseh to the west. In verse 14, it says, The children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Inherit. Since we are such a great people, inasmuch the Lord has blessed us until now. So they actually complain at the end of this of the allotment that they received. But the beginning of it, it begins, Joshua 17, verse 1, There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. And the tribe of Manasseh, descending from Joseph as his firstborn, his name meant forgetful or causing me to forget if you recall, Joseph had been sold as a slave. He had been imprisoned in Egypt for 13 years and then raised up out of the prison 
to become second in command in Egypt to take the Egyptians and much of that known world at that time through a severe famine that was coming. And he was given a, a wife and she had two sons and only two name for us. Jacob would say, the remainder of your sons, they shall be yours, but Ephraim and Manasseh are mine, like my other sons. So uh, no doubt he had other sons, but these two are known to us, Manasseh and Ephraim. And not much more is known about Manasseh, but his name making me to forget. Uh, Joseph had went through a horrific period in his life, but God blessed him with a wife and two sons and great wealth at the end of his life. Four of the 15 judges from the book of Judges were from the tribe of Manasseh, Gideon being the most renowned of these judges. And Israel, they desired even to make Gideon king, but he wisely declined, knowing that God was the king who was to rule over Israel and made them victorious in battle. So we've already learned about half the tribe of Manasseh settling on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And now we find the remaining tribe of Manasseh uh, settling on the western side of the Jordan River. And their territory stretches out all the way across, um, I think it's the purple. Can't see, Ben, Ephraim, Manasseh. They're the yellow that is above there. So you have the yellow on the east side of the Jordan River that goes yellow into white at the top. And then they actually meet for a moment at the Jordan before below the Sea of Galilee and that yellow that stretches from the Jordan all the way to the Mediterranean Sea on the western side of the Jordan River. That is the western tribe of Manasseh and their allotment there. So in this first section in um, verses 1 and 2, we're told specifically of Malchur, the firstborn of Manasseh, a man of war, who was given two cities, Gilead and Bashan. And then we go into a section, I'm going to read this section, the daughters of Zelophehad. They came to receive their inheritance. And so, very short section, but I'm going to read this one through, verses 3 through 7. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, or Hefer, the son of Gilead, and the son of Malchur, and the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these were the names of the daughters, Milha, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah, and they came before Eliezer the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun, before the rulers, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten portions fell to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughter of daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among the sons. And the rest of the Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher. And then it goes into names I don't even want to read. So we'll cut it off right there. Um, 
So these daughters, and we met them in Numbers chapter 27, and they were mentioned again in chapter 36. They approached Moses in chapter 27, saying it really doesn't seem fair that since we're women and our father didn't have any sons, that we shouldn't get an inheritance in the promised land. And Moses said, let me go inquire before the Lord. And he did and came back and said, you're right. And God said, you should get an inheritance. And it was actually a, an example, another example in the Bible of women being elevated at a time when women were not really elevated in society that much. And uh, here we find that they are set apart to receive this inheritance as if they were sons. Now, in Numbers 36, the leaders of Manasseh came to Moses and said, that's great that you're given the daughters of Zelophehad. That's great that you're given the daughters of Zelophehad uh, allotment, but what if they marry someone from another tribe? And Moses said, good question. Let's find out. And he asked the Lord, and the Lord gave them permission to, but with boundaries. God said to the daughters, you can marry anyone within the tribe of Manasseh, but not outside of the tribe of Manasseh. That way the land would always stay with Manasseh. And so they were given permission with boundaries. And that became a standard, no matter the tribe, when this circumstance, if uh, we were dueling out inheritances, these days, um, and my firstborn son, I only have one, it's John, but he ha- he doesn't have a son, he has a daughter, and so his daughter, firstborn, would receive that inheritance. So this would become the standard in all the tribes of Israel. If a man had no sons, his daughters would inherit the land. And so they had freedom to marry within boundaries. And I think God sets boundaries in our lives, and it's always for the good when he does that. And we tend to want to fight those boundaries at times. So the remaining sons of Manasseh, Joshua 17, 8 through 13, he lists out six cities that had their surrounded towns and villages in the hilly regions of this area. And... uh mentioning Issachar and Asher as well. And as with Judah and the Jebusites and Ephraim, the Canaanites, the children of Manasseh could not drive out the Canaanites. So they each had their nemesis in their land, their enemy. And they just had a hard time dealing with these enemies. They couldn't drive them out, but when they grew strong, they compromised God's command and put the Canaanites under forced labor instead of utterly driving them out of the land. But that wasn't good enough for Manasseh. In 14 through 18, we find that they came to Joshua and said, I mean, it's pretty big territory if you look at the map. (laughs) That's that yellow on the eastern side of the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And they said, not enough. We need more. In verse 14, why have you given us but one lot, one portion to inherit, since we are a great people and as much as the Lord has blessed us now? That yellow probably includes this additional inheritance. 
but it was a very difficult area. He gave them a mountainous region with great force, and the Canaanites who dwelt there were great warriors, and they even had iron chariots, and there were giants. So you had great warriors, iron chariots, and giants, a very mountainous region. I can tell you this, that the chariots didn't work in the mountains, so they had to be some flatlands there somewhere. But cannot be sure if Joshua was speaking prophetically when he told them that they would take the land and drive out the inhabitants. He actually told them, they said, you're great people, verse 17, Joshua telling Ephraim and Manasseh, you're great people, you have great power, and you shall not have one lot only. But the mountain country shall be yours. So he kind of encouraged them. He could have simply been encouraging them as a good commander-in-chief of the Lord's army at this time. Or it could be prophetically speaking a word over them as well. But this really stood out to me because Caleb had came to Joshua in chapter 14. He said, give me this mountain, chapter 14, verse 12. And the tribe of Manasseh, they pretty much said, this isn't their words, but I'll put words in their mouth for them. They pretty much said, this mountain's too difficult for us, having forgotten the promises of God. It's my prayer that we would never forget the wonderful promises that God has made available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 18. In verse 8, we learn that the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went out to survey the land and said, Go and walk the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. And so we set up the beginning of chapter 18 with three men from each of the remaining seven tribes, three men from each of the remaining Seven tribes, so every tribe had three men represented, represented, and they would go out to survey the land. And that was the instruction of Joshua in verse 8. But before all that happened, it tells us in verse 1, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. If you remember... Um, they had initially set up their base camp in Gilgal. That's where the tabernacle of meeting was set up first when they entered into the promised land. Shiloh would become this new location that would remain all the way through the period of the judges into first Samuel. Samuel would minister at Shiloh. And so this would be a location of the tabernacle for uh, hundreds of years to come. It would only be moved from Shiloh to go to a couple of different temporary spots, but ultimately to Jerusalem during the reign of David. And so we find it begins with the setting up of the tabernacle. In the allotment of Ephraim, where in Jeremiah 7:12 it tells us he set his name at the first. So God set his name there. At the first, Shiloh means peaceful, and it's a messianic term that Jacob used when blessing Judah, saying, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his teeth, from between his feet, sorry, feet, 
until Shiloh comes. He uses that phrase, Shiloh, peaceful, in Genesis 49.10, speaking of the coming Messiah. So having peace, a stronghold in the central portion of the promised land, they set up to send spies out into the land to survey the land and then come back that they could cast lots for it. And Joshua encouraged the men in verse 8 to go walk through the land, survey it, come back to me, that we may cast lots for you before the Lord in Shiloh. And I wonder if Joshua was thinking about the time when Moses sent out the 12 spies. They went to survey the land, maybe not to map it out quite as much as these men were being required to do. And there was one spy from every tribe at that time, and here we have three from every tribe, seven tribes altogether. So 21 men went out at that time to survey the land. For Joshua and Caleb, their faithfulness to the Lord, every place where their feet had trodden, it became their personal inheritance. God is ready to give the inheritance to the rest of the tribes, but first they had to walk its length, its breadth of the land that God was giving them. They had to walk the land that Abraham had walked nearly probably around 600 to 650 years before. I would think for them that would have been an awesome experience. There haven't been Israelis there for a long time, Hebrews there for a long time. And they were the first to go into that portion of the land after hundreds of years. So the allotment territory of Benjamin, Joshua 18 And that is the slight orange just at the tip of the Dead Sea. It begins at the tip of the Dead Sea where the Jordan River dumps into the Dead Sea and then uh, doesn't go all the way. It just goes halfway across toward the Mediterranean Sea. Very small allotment, but the city of Jerusalem is in their allotment. Benjamin was the brother of Joseph, the youngest of Jacob. His tribe would take their allotment with Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh to their north and west, and the tribe of Judah to their south. And they would have 26 cities along with their villages and historic cities of biblical renown, Jericho, Bethel, Gibeon, Ramah, Jabus, or we best know as Jericho, the Jebusite city of Jabus. Benjamin's allotment allotment would prove to be strategic in the future of Israel. When the divided kingdom took place, the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes, Benjamin would be with Judah in the south, and the remaining ten tribes would form a kingdom to the north. And it's the southern kingdom of Judah consisting of Benjamin, most likely Simeon, as he was part of that territory as well, but not named in the ten northern tribes. And there were people who were loyal to God from all the tribes that came to Judah. So it wasn't that they strictly split. Those who were loyal to God came to the southern kingdom. But they remained loyal to the Lord longest. They went into captivity about a 100 years later. 150 years later than the northern tribes going into the um, Assyrian captivity in 
722 BC and then um, the southern tribes going into captivity of Babylon in 586 BC. So it's my hope that we think about these men walking the land, that we would go and walk the land that the Lord has given us to set up as an inheritance. Walk the length, walk the breadth of this land. Walk and pray in our communities, something that we can do, claiming these territories for the Lord. And then going, as the Lord called us in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. go therefore and make disciples. May we be willing to do such a thing, to go forth and walk the land. Our last chapter, chapter 19, we actually have six remaining tribes all listed out here in chapter 19 and uh, the inheritance of Joshua as well given to us in this chapter. So quite a bit covered in the last chapter. Again, I'll summarize these. In verses 1 through 9, we have the territory of Simeon. And the second lot came out for Simeon, the tribe of the children of Simeon, Simeon, according to their families. And their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. And so I'd mentioned earlier at the beginning of our teaching, the, the lower greenish color at the bottom, that big area of the tribe of Judah, the very lowest riding down there is the territory of Simeon. And they were pretty much absorbed by Judah. They were surrounded by Judah's territory. And this might be because Simeon, being Jacob and Leah's second son, his name means her, heard, like I, God heard me, as Leah was praying for her son, feeling unloved by Jacob. She knew that God had heard her cry, and yet Simeon and Levi had killed all the males of Shechem because the namesake of Shechem, Shechem, the son of Hamor, had sexual relations with their sister. And so Simeon and Levi convinced the men of Shechem to be circumcised that their families could marry, intermarry together and such. And after all the men were circumcised, agreed to that, they went forth three days later with their swords when the men couldn't fight back and went and killed them all. And Jacob said to his sons in Genesis 3430, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. And his final words to Simeon and Levi were these in Genesis 49, 5 through 7. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. Cursed be their anger and their wrath. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so that dividing and scattering, uh, Simeon would be absorbed in the tribe of Judah. And that's why on this map, they're named, but not even uh, mapped out as a territory as far as having their own color. And so whoever put this map together, uh, just put them within the tribe of Judah. And then as we know, the tribe of Levi uh, had no inheritance. God became their inheritance and because they were of the priestly line, they were scattered throughout the, all the land of Israel. So the territory of Zubalan, verses 10 through 16, the third lot came, verse 10, to the children of Zubalan, according to their families. 
And the border of their inheritance was as far as Zerid. So Zublin was the tenth son of Jacob, Leah's sixth son. His name meant dwelling. Jacob figured, or Leah figured, since she had given Jacob six sons, he's gonna, he's gonna want to really stay with me. If you remember, um, Jacob fell in love with Rachel, Leah's sister. He worked seven years that he could wed her. And on the wedding night, dad pulled the old switcheroo and he woke up the next day to find Leah next to him, not Rachel. He'd work another seven years for Rachel. Um, he didn't have to wait seven years, but he had to work another seven years. And then at that time, it meant that both Leah and Rachel were both newlyweds with Jacob and they were vying for his attention and trying to have sons. Rachel only had two sons. Hers was more difficult. So Jacob blessed Zubalin in Genesis 49:15, saying that he would dwell by the haven of the sea. And so up north of... Uh, the West Manasseh, that big yellow territory up there, we find that Zublin would be up in that territory. And he blessed them. Their territory would be between the Sea of Galilee to their east, but not on the border of the Sea of Galilee. And they would go toward the Mediterranean Sea, but not border the Mediterranean Sea. And Jesus fulfilled a proper prophecy in this area of Zublin and Naphtali, or Naphtali, it could be pronounced either way which was spoken by Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 said, The land of Zubalin, the land of Naphtali, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And the tribe of Zubalin received 12 cities along with their villages. Issachar Verses 17 through 23, the fourth lot came out to Issachar, the children of Issachar, according to their families. Issachar was Jacob's ninth son, Leah's fifth son. She became pregnant by him after she had given her mandrakes. Her son had found some mandrakes. They were known in Biblical times as love apples. They were thought to have the power of fertility. And Rachel bargained for the mandrates that she could have a son was her hope. And so she basically said, you know, I'm supposed to be with Jacob tonight, but you can take my place if you'll let me have the mandrakes. And she conceived, Leah conceived that night and bore Jacob a ninth son, Issachar. We don't know much more about them, but perhaps the greatest thing said, a couple of things said about them. Uh, Jacob blessed them in Genesis 49:14 through 15. He said, Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Their land was pleasant, very fertile, and yet often they fell into servitude with the warring nations around them. They were given 16 cities along with their villages. But the 
best reference, and this is something we like. We like to carry the reference to Issachar for us to this day, because in the time of David, in First Chronicles 12.32, it says, The sons of Issachar had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And so that is a good saying of the sons of Issachar. And may we be a people who would have the understanding of the times that we would know what we ought to do. The territory of Asher, the fifth lot came out, verses 24 through 31, came out for the tribe of the children of Asher according to their families. So the eighth son of Jacob and the second son of Zilpha, Leah's handmaid, who became a wife of Jacob. His name meant happy because Leah was happy to have another son accredited to her account. And so she had physically, Leah would give birth to six sons. Her maid would have two sons. So um, eight of the sons of the 12 sons of Jacob would be accounted to Leah. Not much is known about Asher personally. They inherited a rich, fertile land, but were never able to completely drive out the Phoenicians from their territory. Many years later, Anna was of the tribe of Asher, and we read about her in Luke 2, 36 through 38, but just a little portion that I'm going to read to you from that is that she was there to see the baby Jesus and to witness of him to all who looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. So a, a woman from the tribe of Asher many years later would see the Messiah. They received 22 cities along with their villages. Now Moses blessed Asher with these words and let him dip his foot in oil. Deuteronomy 33:24. That Verse of scripture along with something that was said earlier in the same chapter caused, well, one oil company to develop Zion oil and gas to search for oil in that territory. And uh, one of the articles says Moses blessed. This is actually. uh, From an article about them from 2018, Moses blessed the tribe of Asher regarding oil and the allotment of the land is continuing to come to fruition as Zion Oil and Gas announced Tuesday, this was in 2018, that it has definitely found oil and it's nearing testing for the well for commercial use. And I went to their home website, they're still in business today, and the home webpage says this, Zion Oil and Gas Company drilling for Israel's political and economic independence inspired by Genesis 49, 25 through 26, and Deuteronomy 33, 13 through 16. And so people read their Bible and it's like, oil? Oh yeah, maybe we should be looking over there. And you know what? They found oil. Naphtali or Naphtali. I I actually looked up how to pronounce this name today, and it could go both ways. I usually say Naphtali, and uh, I hear a lot of people say Naphtali. So they were the sixth, verse 32, the sixth lot to come out to the children of Naphtali for the children of Naphtali according to their families. So Naphtali, I'll just keep saying it that way for now, 
the second son of Bilhah, Rachel's maid. And Rachel named him, meaning my wrestling. She had wrestled with Leah and uh, was able to have sons, my wrestling. And although there's no personal history of Naphtali, the extra biblical sources tell us that he was the first to bring word back to Jacob that Joseph was alive. Now, we can't know if this is true or not, but Jacob did bless him and say, Naphtali is a deer let loose who uses beautiful words. Genesis 49:21. And his allotment fell between the coastal strip of Asher and the upper Jordan. And so that would be that gray area up there on the map. And uh, they were the first to be taken into captivity by Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, according to 2 Kings 15.29. They received 19 cities and their villages. Although they seem to fade into history, we do find that they're numbered with the 144,000 in the book of Revelation in chapter 7. Now the tribe of Dan, the last to be mentioned to receive their inheritance... The seventh lot, verse 40, down through 48, the seventh lot came to the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families. And Dan was the fifth son of Jacob and the first of Bilhah. And his name means judge. And Rachel felt that God had judged in behalf of her and given her a son. In Genesis 36, 6. In Genesis 30, verse 6, sorry. And so they were the last to receive their inheritance, but the first tribe to fall into idolatry. Now, they didn't really like their inheritance. Their most famous uh, person from their tribe was a judge named Samson. And uh, we'll read about him when we get to the book of Judges. But either they outgrew their territory or they decided that they would needed more room to stretch out, they ended up going far north, up over the Sea of Galilee to actually the base of Mount Hermon to an area that they saw was, and it is, we've been there, Lily and I, and very beautiful area, very tropical palm trees, um, very lush with the vegetation, and it's a tributary, tributary head. There's three, at least three tributary heads to the Jordan River. And this is one of them. And they took and conquered the people there and took the people, uh, killed them, and renamed the city as Dan or that territory as Dan. They were the first to go into captivity. And when Rehoboam, I keep, I always get Rehoboam and Jeroboam mixed up in my head. I think it's Jeroboam. He became the first king over the northern tribes of Israel, the ten northern tribes. And it tells us that he set two, uh, false images up, two temples. He wanted to duplicate the temple in Jerusalem. One of them was set up in Dan, and they've uncovered the uh, foundation of that. We've sat on the steps of what would have been the ascent into the holy place or the holy of holies. And we sat on those steps there where in the ruins of Dan that are there in northern Israel today. And so a great potential, but they would fall into idolatry. 
and lead their nation that way as well. So the divided kingdom stage, Jeroboam would place one of the two golden calves at a temple that he built there in Dan. So the inheritance of Joshua in verses 49 and 50, when they made the end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked for, Timnath-Zerah, in the mountains of Ephraim. And he built the city and dwelt there. And so it's interesting as you read this section, um, kind of in parentheses form, it began with Caleb receiving his inheritance, and it ends with Joshua receiving his inheritance, and the nine and a half tribes getting their inheritance, inheritance in between those two men. Great men of faith who were first to spy out the land and then able to take the portion of the land where their feet had trodden. And it's apparent that Joshua, because he received his inheritance last, really shows the servant's heart that he had as well. Verse 51, the last verse of our text. These were the inheritances which Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. Now they divided it. They distributed it. It was up to the tribes to go and and take it. And so they had their allotted territory, but they had to go forth to take possession of the land that God had allotted to them. And they had to do so by faith. And I pray that we're willing to go forth, discovering what God would have for us, and to occupy by faith those things that the Lord has given to us. First Peter 4.10, last verse I read tonight. It says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards, of the manifold grace of God. And Father, may we use the gifts that you have given us for your glory and help us, Lord, to occupy the land that you give to us. For us here, for me, Lord, I feel very strongly about this property, this just under 10 acres that's been um, set out before us here as our inheritance. And something, Lord, if you should tarry, I would like to pass on to a new generation of worshipers. And I pray, Lord, that that would be our heart as a church body as well. But help us to be faithful, Lord, with what you have given us. And help us, Lord, to take more territory. And you have, Lord, uh, through video, through radio, and other means, Lord, you have helped us to reach not just our Jerusalem here in Lake Villa, but beyond Lake Villa into the surrounding areas and Lord into our world. So we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.